Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully it is. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry. We recently came across an article in The Atlantic comparing the COVID-19 pandemic and the SARS pandemic that tore through Hong Kong in 2003. After that pandemic, which ended in three months, researchers found what they called the alarming fact that more than 40% of SARS survivors had an active psychiatric illness, most commonly PTSD or depression. The novel coronavirus's reign has long surpassed the three-month mark already. And by all indications, it won't end anytime soon. If SARS is any lesson, the secondary health effects will long outlast the pandemic itself. According to the article, which we will link to, a third of Americans are already feeling severe anxiety. And according to the Census Bureau data, nearly a quarter show signs of depression. A recent poll by the Kaiser Family Foundation found that the pandemic has negatively affected the mental health of 56% of adults, which does make me wonder, what's that percentage for children? Hmm. In April, texts to the Federal Emergency Mental Health Line were up, get this, Terry, 1,000% over last year. The situation is particularly dire for certain vulnerable groups, such as healthcare workers, COVID-19 patients with severe cases, and people who have lost loved ones. They face a significant risk of post-traumatic stress disorder. Our focus today is healthcare workers, and our peek behind the scenes comes courtesy of our guest, Christy, who has worked in two Wisconsin hospitals during the pandemic as a chaplain, spiritual care specialist, and mindfulness instructor. Christy is no stranger to trauma in her life and in her work. Like the article, she says, this is different. Have you ever experienced a time like this before? No, I have not. And I work beside some chaplains who have been doing this work their entire career, 20, 30 years. But I think they would say the same thing. These are unusual times, and, you know, the work is intense when you're dealing with life and death, but the presence of COVID, the influence of the social uprising, injustice, Mm -hmm. it's raw. It's, it's, It's pretty raw, and I've not seen anything like it in my time as a chaplain here. And what does that look and feel like in a hospital? Well, the hospital I work at is socially diverse, and you have associates that were already feeling the strain and the stress, feeling even more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of a metaphor of maybe a, a, 
a panel that um, had some some light switches off, um, but the other ones were glaring, called COVID. Well, now you've got these other triggers that have been triggered, which are wounding, wounds of injustice in their own lives that are now lit and visible. And I have seen unspoken emotional overwhelm, emotional inflammation Hmm. that has been just taking an already challenging situation and making it even more so. And all those additional challenges have affected not only how Christy offers support, but who she supports as well. What I would say pre-COVID, 80% of that support was given to the patients and the families, and about 20% to the the associates, the nurses, um, and through my mindfulness instruction, the the doctors as well. But um, with the onset of COVID, I would say, boy, the, the ratios have shifted to... Um, maybe 50-50 of um, attention to the patients, patients who suddenly find themselves in isolation, find themselves in a position of being up close with mortality, their own mortality. So we have that dynamic. We have the dynamic of the family who um, up to the um, place of being at bedside when a patient is dying, when a loved one is dying, they're not allowed in the hospital room. So to deal with that reality and all that it entails is, is profound and intense. Profound, intense experiences that take a heavy toll on the hospital staff as well. Add the frustration of limited protective gear, widely held beliefs that the pandemic is a hoax and precautionary measures unnecessary, plus changes in every work procedure, making even routine tasks more cumbersome. Quoting from a recent Time magazine article titled, We Carry That Burden, Medical Workers Fighting COVID-19 Are Facing a Mental Health Crisis. Quote, and as with any war, the fight against COVID-19 will result not just in direct casualties, but also take a terrible toll on the minds of many who survive it. It will be years before the mental health toll of the COVID-19 pandemic is fully understood. But some early data already paints a bleak picture. Citing a recent study published in the medical journal JAMA, significant numbers of healthcare workers involved with COVID-19 patients reported symptoms of depression, anxiety, insomnia, and distress. Nurses and other frontline workers were among the most affected. Christy is seeing symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, even in herself. And now I'm somebody that's got a fairly well-developed, I call it mindfulness muscle, and I'm having post-traumatic stress disorder. Holy moly. Um, I haven't even been in the COVID-positive rooms per se, though I've had um, profound interactions with patients and nurses and what have you. I can only imagine what is laying in wait for the nurses that are um, dealing with that and have been dealing with that for the last last months. What are you anticipating? I mean, obviously, this is the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, but with PTSD, mm-hmm. are you expecting 
a, a mental health crisis among them? What are you thinking? Are you sort of hearing, seeing rumblings or, or just maybe based on your own reaction? Well, you know, I, I, I don't want to go so far as saying crisis, but I want mm-hmm. to acknowledge the potential. I think from my own life journey and my influence in healing with this, this journey we're all on is that um, given that there's potential for post-traumatic stress disorder, there's also potential for um, post-traumatic growth. You know, I I don't have a fatalistic, oh my God, we're, you know, going down the tubes here, um, crisis mentality. I think we need to be mindful of the fact that um, there's been loss, profound loss. There's been grief. There's been um, sustained anxiety. And I think we need to be um, mindful of that healing that will be required. But I also believe that there are elements of solidarity and recognition and affirmation that we can build on that um, hopefully will enable moving forward in a more evolved way as an organization here in healthcare. And the grief, as I understand it, you know, is is in addition to the profound grief of losing life or losing a loved one. Everybody has some level of grief from the loss of normalcy, if nothing else. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I was talking to uh, one of the, the, the leaders, the executives here, and we were talking about social distancing and obviously the necessity for social distancing. And... Um, and I, we were jokingly saying, and for all the introverts of the world, that social distancing has, a, has an upside. Mm-hmm, <laughs> but mm-hmm. for those of us that are used to being huggers, that are used to connection, it's been kryptonite. It's been so difficult. When Christy talks about touch, hugs, and connection, she means far more than the social greeting context. She shared a heartbreaking story of being called to a patient's room to offer spiritual support after a devastating non-COVID loss. When no words suffice and pandemic protocols are in place, Christy says her ability to help feels limited. My expression of my work is my presence and my um, connection to what's happening in that situation. And it was the first time that I was called into the intensity of that kind of situation with my mask on, Mm -hmm. with social distancing, and suddenly I felt like the the violinist who had their their hands cut off. I mean, it's like, you know, I, I, I had to manage that space differently. And it was, um, it was painful for me. I mean, those things are, are horrific and difficult, but that's the work that we choose to be in and we are called to. And with this environment that we are in, it took on a different feel. And loss for me was loss of connection mm-hmm. in the intimate space that I do my most profound work. And that took some processing afterwards. So, yes, to your point, I think we're all feeling loss, um, and we're grieving that loss. And 
we're finding new ways to navigate and move forward. When you speak to the frontline workers, whether you know they, they be the nurses or the doctors or, or any of what you call the ancillary staff, what kinds of things are you hearing from them in this time that, that are different than what you did pre-COVID? You know, we have uh, a reference of uh, that we use called complicated grief, which means there's um, a situation that is just difficult to put in one box or another. Uh, what I'm hearing from the associates is complicated processing and complicated reaction. For example, I was talking to some of the um, nurses in ER recently doing what we call a spiritual pulse check. And they said, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've never felt higher stress and more anxiety. But at the same time, you know, we're getting so much support from the community. You know, this is a community that used to bitch and moan because they had to wait for an hour plus to get into an ER room and, um, you know, everything was so awful at ER. Now, you know, we're heroes and we're getting this praise and support and, you know, we're still the same people. <laughs> we're still doing the best we can. But, you know, it, it's kind of nice to be appreciated for what we're doing. So it's it's really complicated. There are associates saying we just wanted to get back to normal, um, and most associates are uh, there will never be a back to. Um, there's going to be a new normal, and this thing is going to go on for a while, and we just got to figure out how to how to move through it and do our jobs. Acknowledging that we are months into this, are there things that medical professionals and other frontline workers can still do to? reduce either the likelihood or severity of future mental health problems? Mm -hmm. You know, one thing that uh, is profoundly obvious and evident from this experience to all of us is that we are connected and we are interdependent. And I believe that healthcare professionals, like many people, are drawn to that profession because they are caregivers for everybody else out there, which means they typically put themselves on the bottom of the list. Christy urges healthcare professionals and other caretakers and frontline workers to consider self-care as essential as their work is. And self-care looks different to everyone out there, but basically, however you need to Nurture yourself, care for yourself, tend to yourself, whether that be seeking professional support, peer support, whether that's having a network of uh, friends and family that are present and supportive, uh, whether that's taking time in nature, whether it's just talking to yourself in a nurturing way. One nurturing and supportive message is printed in a hospital flyer that Christy grabs to read. A time will come when you reflect back on this challenging time. Let your memory be this. You courageously showed up, all in. You did your best to bring light into darkness, and it was good. And so I am trying now, preemptively, if you will, to seed 
the thought patterns to embrace and acknowledge and affirm within yourself that you did some pretty courageous work. When this was going on, you you did something and you did your best and that's to be honored. And give yourself the presence of mind to do that. Um, I think self-care is probably primary on the on the top of the list for mitigating some of the potential post-traumatic stress disorder and depression. And how can we support the people we know who were in those situations, including you? Mm-hmm. Continue to recognize that when we're over the peak, but we're still moving through, that there will still be needs. You know, it's interesting if I look at a parallel to when um, grief management, when a, when a person dies, and of course during the funeral and and all of the um, near event of the, the, the death, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people bringing casseroles over and people mm-hmm. acknowledging and, and what have you. And then six months later, and it's, again, no judgment. It's just people get back to their lives and out of sight, out of mind. And yet the reality is is that oftentimes it's down the road when the adrenaline has settled a bit that the real um, wounds start to bleed. And so I think it's important for all of us to be gentle with ourselves for a long time. And however, again, that looks, acknowledging that uh, we've all been through something pretty traumatic. And we're just talking about COVID. There's this whole other dimension of social injustice (laughs) that's, um, you know, layering on top of everything going on here. So we are, you know, humanity's being broken open in a big way. There's a significant wound and there's also opportunity for healing. So um, we need to, you know, love each other, <laughs> however that's going to look and feel. We got to be um, there for each other. That sums it up. Right. We've got to love each other and be there for each other. And to tend to ourselves. Yes, You know, absolutely. it's hard to love others when we're not kind of addressing our own needs first. Absolutely. The old oxygen mask, right? Yep. Absolutely. Also, I'd never thought of, I'm aware of the fact that family members can't be in the room when somebody is dying. And I've always thought of that from the perspective of the family and the patient. It never occurred to me that that... I'm going to call it a burden. I don't know that I would ever use that word when I was if I was talking about the family, but that burden then falls on to the medical professionals. And you know, in addition to everything else they're dealing with, they're now being that person for the for the dying patient. And um, I don't know why I hadn't thought of it, but it just really uh, at that Time Magazine article, it was literally what it was called. I think uh, you know we we assume that burden too or something. And I just thought, oh wow, so it's a lot. Yeah, new definition of frontline. Absolutely. Next week, we will begin a two-part episode with Michelle Yang talking about her experience living with bipolar disorder, how stigma caused her to hide it for decades, and how speaking out and getting the medical and social support that she needed has enabled her to build the life that she and all of us deserve. Yay. Yes, I look forward to hearing Michelle's story and sharing that with you all.
Thank you again, Christy, for the essential reminder to love each other and to tend to ourselves in this time of chaos and so much loss. Indeed. Thank you, Christy, and thank you, Bridget. Oh, and I also have to mention, Christy said to talk to ourselves in a nurturing way, which I always try to find a golden nugget in the podcast. And for me, that's the one for this one. That's huge. If we can begin to practice and grapple with the, the, the practice of speaking to ourselves in a nurturing way, mm-hmm. that's, then it's sort of a beginning of a different game. And uh, now that you mentioned that, we will link to the episodes we recently did on self-compassion and that very messaging. Great. I love you, Terry. Love you too, Bridgie Boo. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.